At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Naked M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, a very special guest today uh, for a very special and urgent conversation we've been having and we need to continue to have. In fact, we probably need to have it every day. She is the Federal Strategies Manager at All Above All, an organization of strangers. Us. We've talked with them before. She works with coalition partners and The Hill to advance the EACH Act and defend against the expansion of abortion coverage bans. She joined the all team with a scope of experiences that encompass a strong knowledge of the abortion care and provider community through her work with the Allentown Women's Center, the National Abortion Federation, and most recently as the assistant director of public policy with Physicians for Reproductive Health. She is a We Testify abortion storyteller and she graduated from Lafayette College, where she studied international affairs and earned a master's from the American University of Paris. Here today with us from all above all is Daniela Diaz. Daniela, welcome to Make It Plain. How are you? Thank you so much. I am so good. Thank you for having me. And thank you for that very thorough introduction. I was not expecting uh, my full bio. <laughs> <laughs> I want people to know who you are. You're great. Thank and, you. And you're international. You you and, and studying in Paris and whatnot. You you the real deal. Yes, I, <laughs> I am the real deal, the real immigrant, and the real traveler when I can. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, you know, let's get to what's on on everyone's mind. Just had that Supreme Court hearing. Lord have mercy. Um, <laughs> we're in trouble, aren't we? You know. The Supreme Court is is one part of of a larger picture, right? So we have been in a situation where reproductive health rights and justice advocates have been saying that the legality of abortion and Roe is not enough. It's it's the floor and continuously uh, rising in different states and saying, you know, here are more restrictions, more and more bans. Um, that are coming our way. So are we in trouble? It's part of the trouble we've already been in. Yeah. This has been a, a long trouble in the making, if I can say. Yeah. And, and because actually the fact of the matter is, I mean, this is this big case before the Supreme Court. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, states have been chipping away. Haven't they? And, and actually the Supreme Court's job, the court's job was really to stop the states but they've just been letting the states have their way, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, the states have been making their decisions and ultimately, you know, cases have trickled up different court systems, right? We, they'll trickle up to the circuit court and ultimately they'll reach the Supreme Court. 
And um, yeah, different states have, you know, and, and different types of bands and these layered bands ultimately, you know, impact an individual's ability to access care, an individual's ability to afford care, an individual's ability to have the resources that they need to take the time to go and have a medical procedure that's, you know, accessing their regular health care. So, yeah. yeah. But so, but what would the, the, the case before the court that we just heard the oral arguments for the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization Give us a glimpse, though, of what, how that might get us in even more trouble, what that would enable more states around sure. the country to do. For sure. So I will I will start off by saying that, you know, all of all as an org is not a litigating group in, in this case. You know, the litigators for the case are our colleagues at the Center for Reproductive Rights who have um, litigated several cases before the Supreme Court tied to reproductive health rights and justice, right? And what I will say is ultimately the court is considering a 15 week ban uh, case from Mississippi, a state that currently has one clinic. And basically what that 15 week ban would do, depending on the opinion of the court, you know, is roll back our rights based on, you know, the precedent set by Roe versus Wade, right? And so what that does for states as we're seeing in parallel, also the Supreme Court is discussing aspects of, you know, the Texas Senate Bill 8. Um, you know, they have two two key cases right now that, that you know, change the narrative of abortion access at, at the national scale. But we already know that, like, this case and other Supreme Court cases tied to repro aren't the sole issue, knowing and understanding that states have already been taking these strides and steps to block, restrict, ban, prepare for, you know, uh, an overturn of Roe and have the equivalent of what would be laws that would be enacted immediately were Roe to be overturned. So this is a narrative that has so much depth. Um, in the context of of what's happening right now and what we've seen happen in the in decades of you know decades of of bans and restrictions and legislation that you know ultimately builds more and more obstacles for people seeking care every day yeah everywhere. so the fight is as much in washington then as it is at the local level i mean that's is that what we really need to be organizing I'll be honest with you, the fight is a really multi-pronged fight, right? Like we have the federal pieces, we have the state pieces, and we have the local pieces. Um, and all of them are incredibly important in like this puzzle that is the United States and also the puzzle that is what does access look like in the U.S.? And what can it look like if more states continue to, to ban access? Yeah. Yeah. So what is it um, that all above all tells me about specifically about the organizing you're doing and, and how people can get involved? Absolutely. So there's several things at play, right? Like at all above all, we ultimately envision a world where, you know, abortion care is there when we need it without barriers based on who you are, based on who you're from, based on how much you earn based on what insurance plan you have, <laughs> you know, um, 
we at all, we work to allow folks to have ownership of their reproductive health care, um, whether it means deciding to have children or not. We want right. people to have the ability to have the autonomy and access health care with dignity. So what are we working on? We basically work, we are striving towards abortion justice, right? And ultimately striving towards abortion justice means um, aspects of what I just described, right? No barriers based on where you are, where you're from, making decisions without stigma or shame, being able to get care with dignity and respect, and also having the freedom to like forge your own life and path based on, on what you want. But what can people do right now based on what's going on is several things, right? At the federal level, you know, what's really important is to reach out to your federal elected officials. You know, we have a bill called the EACH Act. The EACH Act is a bill that in essence repeals Hyde. And it's currently led in the House by Representative Barbara Lee, who folks have heard a lot of if you follow what's happening in the movement. She's shared her story. She's a powerhouse and ultimately somebody who has stood by the work of repealing Hyde from the beginning. It's also uh, led by Ayanna Presley, Diana DeGette, and Jan Tchaikovsky in the House and in the Senate. It's led by Senator Duckworth Murray and Hirono. But what I want to drive down to people to understand is that this bill ultimately would allow folks to receive coverage that is currently banned um, in programs that include Medicaid, for example. Medicaid is a program that provides health care to such a high percentage of people. So it's really important that folks get in, in touch with their federal elected officials. But in addition, on the medical abortion side, you know, there are 19 states that ban medication abortion. And we need folks to tell their officials why this needs to end, right? People need access to telehealth. They need access to medication abortion. And beyond recent reaching out to federal members of Congress, you know, with everything that's at play, it's really important to learn who's doing the work locally, right? Who are the, who are, who's the abortion fund that's closest to you, that's helping your neighbors, has helped you, has helped your community access care, afford care, get to their appointments. Who Who is doing this work, right? Familiarize yourself with them and also donate to abortion funds. I think it's really important to ultimately also talk about abortion. You know, this is ongoing healthcare that people get all year round every day. And ultimately, Part of, part of the conversation should also be to talk about it, normalize the conversation and have it regularly like you and I are having it now, right? Yeah, yeah, that's very, very important. More MIP after this message. What, what is the status of the each act the legislation? I know we've had a lot of things hemmed up in the Senate. Yeah. What is the status of the legislation? So the EACH Act right now was reintroduced into the 117th Congress earlier this year. It's uh, close to 180 co-sponsors in the House and close to 30 co-sponsors in the Senate. And that's a big that's a big deal for a chamber that is traditionally uh, a bit slower in joining the conversation. And part of what was phenomenal about um, the, the SCOTUS rally that was held on December 1st, which was the day of uh, oral arguments for uh, the Jackson Women's Health Organization case, was seeing so many members of Congress, you know, supporting the campaign um, that we had put together 
not all above all, but you know, the reproductive health rights and justice movement coalition called liberate abortion. And, you know, I, I, I was amazed to see all of them holding up those signs when they were doing their walk from Congress to the Supreme Court, because it shows a change of tide. You know, this year we've had an incredible year on Hyde, decades in the making when it comes to the presidential budget, when it comes to Senate and House appropriations, removing the Hyde rider um, from some of their uh, appropriations bills. So this just comes to show what a turning a turning and a turn of a tide this has been. People are now openly talking about Hyde. People are now openly standing towards, you know, eliminating bans from major bills and also supporting the reproductive health rights and justice movement in, in a much more open way. Have you gotten any signal from House leadership as to when they might bring the bill to the floor? No, we don't have signal right now about when the bill may be coming to the floor. Okay. So we are going to be working very hard with our advocates to make sure that uh, the bill gets gets seen, gets heard, folks are aware, and we are already seeing some of those major steps being made on the appropriate side with the support of Representative DeLauro, as well as Murray in their appropriations committees and roles. Um, working on another piece of legislation that is as transformational as each I do, and that is uh, HR 40, the reparations bill. But 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 what we're seeing, and I hope this will not be the case with each, the closer you get to a midterm election, the more these types of bills become more controversial. And so, you know, y'all, we, we can't let that happen. It, right. it, you know, you can get if each has 180 co-sponsors and H.R. 40 has almost 200. There's no reason why these bills shouldn't be brought to the floor. They build back better had about as many. And then they went and got the other 18 once it got to the floor. The leadership has to do this. And we cannot be told, from my view, Daniela, that a bill like each. Well, you know, we're a little scared because this is the midterms. No. If Democrats want to win the midterms. You got to pass each. It, it came to, you know, the, the consultant class, which tends to be very, you know, moderate and, you know, moderate liberal or whatever. Well, they'll say to the leadership, well, you know, that's a little controversial. Let's get through the midterm. Uh, uh If you want people to be mobilized and women, particularly who make up the largest uh, uh, base of the electorate, all women. Yes. And if you put women with their allies like me, that's even more people. You got to have bills like that pass. I mean, that's just my position, Danielle. So that's why I asked you. And I know, yeah. you, have, you, know you have to go along and just kind of see what's happening. But at some point, you know, the, the uh, signal a signal flare might need to go up if, if they're sitting on this. Agreed. I mean, I feel like that's why it's so important for people to know, like reaching out to your federally elected members of Congress it is incredibly impactful when they're receiving messages, when they're receiving emails, when there's no denying the communication that is going to these offices, right? Yeah. And so take action, call your members of Congress, thank them for the work if they are supporting the work and being vocal advocates because they get a lot of they get a lot of, of pushback. And then also for folks who are not on these bills and these pieces of legislation, they need to know that this is an issue that matters to their voting block, right? 
Um, you know, we have some amazing battleground research that came out recently. Um, gosh, what were the statistics on that? Give me one second to. Yeah, take your time. That's important. We want to hear that for yeah. sure. So we have some battleground district research that I definitely want to pull up the statistic for you because we, we are, we, it's been consistent and part of what's most important is making sure that folks know, right? Like this is consistent, this is unchanging, and this is also a winning issue. And the stats ultimately say um, that the majority of the public, 62% of national voters believe that Medicaid should cover abortion care, just as it covers other pregnancy-related care. And new polling basically shows that a striking majority, 69% of voters of all ages and different race and ethnic groups in battleground congressional districts support mm. Medicaid coverage of abortion services. Like mm. those numbers are strong and those yeah. numbers have been consistent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we need folks to call um, their elected officials. If you're unsure of what language to use, be sure to check out All Above All's webpage. We have the ability to provide you language, email, script, the things that you need to to advocate on the issue, but what's most important is to be consistent. Don't don't sit back. Calling once is is amazing. Calling several times becomes really important. We're going to walk into a year that's going to come with a lot of change with those midterm elections, like you were just saying, and these offices need to know. Yeah, that this is a priority. More MIP after this message. They they need to hear from us. All above all org folks. Very important that they hear from us and and see again. The the as as much as some Democrats seem to be intent upon losing the midterms, I don't know why, but <laughs> um, ironically, this is the very issue that could turn the tide. Um, right. Even without the each act, I mean, women are being mobilized. You cannot expect uh, the the women electorate just to uh, lay down for the ongoing assault well and, and i don't think we use the term a couple of years ago but i don't think it ever stopped the war the war against women i don't i don't think it ever ended frankly um but then if you also have a piece of legislation that can offset that and 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 mobilize women even more it just makes sense for that to happen so folks we have to fight for that as vigorously as we fight for other pieces of legislation in fact even more vigorously because women not only in the majority this is life why are we still trying to regulate women's bodies there is something pathological uh about that and and know it listen i'm inspired don't get me started what what where was it in uh was it in poland and they had millions of see that's where i'm at you just call me we got to do that i'm ready uh listen, <laughs> you know, as, as somebody who 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 immigrated to the states and has roots in other places it's been hard for me to not follow deeply but also be incredibly inspired by the green wave in Latin America, right? La Ola Verde. Uh, we've been seeing, you know, what that has done in Mexico, the aims that that has had in Argentina and wins. Also what things have, the wins that have come in Chile, although it falls under uh, a narrow scope. Ultimately, this change needs to happen. I come from a country originally, my, my home nation, Venezuela, is one where abortion is not legal, but people are still accessing care. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. so we we 
when I think about the inspiration that that brings me, when I think about what it means to me to come from a place where I know that what I'm working towards in a different place is not legal, is, is ultimately the importance of reconciling that access where I to be at home and need to get care and find myself with all of the lack of access that there is, that's no different from somebody who is now in Texas, who now finds themselves in a situation where if they find out that they're pregnant after six weeks, well, you know, they can't access care and now need to travel. People all over the world um, are, are having to face these really difficult circumstances. And ultimately, you know, we need to lift bans on, 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 on abortion. We need to lift bans on insurance coverage. Right. We need to end unnecessary barriers to medication abortion care. And we need to ensure that folks, regardless of their documented documentation status can access the care that they need. Like this is healthcare. This is not, yeah. this is not anything different. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, you are an abortion storyteller. That's right. I share my abortion story um, through We Testify, which is a program that has changed my life. Well, you feel like I think it would be helpful to hear your story. You feel like sharing it with us? Absolutely. I'd be happy to share. So um, I will say I will say a couple of things. First of all, I will say I've been on DC Medicaid in the past. And one of the things that happens when you're on DC Medicaid is that the district cannot decide to cover abortion access because it is currently banned under a uh, one of the appropriations bills that funds the DC Medicaid program. So I will say, had I needed an abortion while I was on Medicaid, not only would I not have been able to afford the care out of pocket, not only would I not have been able to access coverage through my insurance plan, I would have needed to use practical support networks and I would have needed to use um, abortion funds to afford my abortion in the district. Mm. Because allotting funds towards a medical procedure that may average out to $500 would have taken money away from my rent and ability to eat. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. Wow. And that is the reality that people face, right? And that is a reality I would have faced had I needed an abortion while I was under DC Medicaid. Wow. Wow. I will say, so I had an abortion um, when I was 29 and I was with a partner who I cared for deeply, but we were more, more friends than anything else. He now happily leaves, lives in Ghana, which is where he's from. And I was not ready to be a parent. I was on, on the Nuva ring when I, when I got pregnant and ultimately wasn't ready to form a family, didn't have the support network to start a family and ultimately didn't want to start a family at that time. Um, I wanted to focus on the things that brought me to DC, which is my job. I wanted to uh, focus on going to therapy and like taking good care of myself after moving back to the U.S. from living abroad for a long period of time. And I, I didn't want to be a parent. And part of the magic of like making that decision in the time when I had to make it was that I had worked at an abortion clinic for almost two years prior to moving to D.C. I had helped and seen many people um, seeking abortion care from all backgrounds, non-English speakers, folks who uh, I had the privilege to support when they didn't know how to read and write to understand, you know, 
uh, and make sure that they felt fully informed before making certain decisions. And for me, by the time I knew that I needed that care, I had, you know, such deep familiarity with it that I felt like stigma wasn't something that I, that I was going to experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt very, very relieved to have that level of familiarity, which is not common and also have, you know, the level of network and connection, obviously to providers in the district at that time, which is also not something that people normally have the privilege of having. Yeah. Right. And so at that point I decided to schedule my procedure and ultimately wasn't going to tell my family about it until afterwards. I was like, you know, I'm not going to concern, you know, worry them. We'll talk about it later. But that's like some of that stigma piece, right? Or like, what will they say? Are they, you know, what's going to happen? So that was actually more present than I thought. And then there was a snowstorm that came to DC. And, you know, having lived in Pennsylvania and in states where snow is actually pretty strong and heavy, I was completely shocked and appalled that the district just basically shut down over less than an inch of snow, which meant that I couldn't access my procedure on the day that I needed it and that I had set in my mind that I was going to get it. Hmm. And part of what was so difficult about that was coming to the to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to get care when I was ready to receive it. And from there, it was a difficult mental spiral. I'll tell you and be honest with you, because what happens is that abortion clinics don't provide abortions every day. And so that would delay my procedure for another week, right? And that meant that I had to hold tight this desire to have this medical procedure that I had already scheduled and was mentally prepared to do and wait an additional week. And, you know, my story is very simple. I was very happy and relieved to access and get the care that I needed. I was fortunate to not need to travel to different states to access the care that I needed. But the position of not being able to get the care that I needed when I when I knew that I on the day that I had scheduled for that to happen put me in a position that was very familiar. Like I remember fearing deeply not knowing, you know, how the my visa renewals were going to go. Right? Mm. Mm. How am I going to be granted the ability to stay? Am I going to be told, no, you know, what, what happens with this? And that same like uh, holding of my breath and like holding of my fear and tension was very, very present when I had to wait to access my abortion. And it was really, really hard to know that I didn't want to be pregnant and have to stay pregnant longer than I wanted to. Mm. Mm. And so from that perspective, you know, my story is both very simple. I was able to access care. I had connections and 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 familiar with the network where I was living to get what I needed. I fortunately had an insurance that covered abortion, which is not what most people experience, right? And so I was both very privileged, but also definitely felt some moments of of true of true tension and familiarity that didn't feel so good. Right. Yeah. Immigration didn't feel so good. And so those those parallels for me were hard to process. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of my story. And I, I, I will add, like, you know, I have hosted folks who as practical support who are coming from a bunch of different states uh, who haven't been able to get access to the care that they need as a result of like their medical circumstances and have needed to go up to three states and to the district to access care.
And that's, that's just not a place and a reality that people deserve to have. People deserve to get healthcare with dignity. People deserve to get their abortion covered. Yeah. You know? That that's moving around like that. See, that's pre nineteen seventy three, y'all. I mean, yes, and we we need we need a we need abortion justice, right? The justice ultimately means you should be able to get your care, have it covered, and 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 continue with your life, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Live yeah. your life in your terms. Why, folks, would we want to go back to pre nineteen seventy three? Whose purpose is that, sir? What is what is the point of that? And that's what we're saying here. Uh, Danielle, Danielle, I appreciate your story. And, and I heard even within your story, your empathy for those who every day don't really have some of the resources you had at your disposal, even, even though yours was still challenging, obviously, um, most people don't have access to those resources and they are, um, dwindling and decreasing resources every day because of what, uh, the right wing is doing and, and this need to control um, uh, women's bodies. Um, so, you know, folks, we, we got to get involved in this. Um, um, women and men, I need my brethren to be about this life too, you know, and to be involved in this type of work. Um, and, and when we say life, folks, again, um, people who say they are pro-life rarely are in favor of the lives of women. Women's women have lives too, and so those are primarily the the, the women who um, have to carry children or choose not to. Their lives are not any less important than anyone else's. In fact, they're more important because it is ultimately their decision, and we cannot have a civilized world. Where we can, the world for all the years, the world has not been civilized. Primarily, was because women were subjugated solely to the wishes of men and to the decisions of men: when to get married, when to have a child, whether or not you're going to work, whether you're going to drive, all those things. Um, and we cannot be about that. So, folks, we invite you to go to allaboveall.org. As as Daniela said, reach out to your federal elected officials. Make sure they're on the Each Act as well. Get involved locally also, um, because the fact of the matter is, Daniela, there, there, and, and, and then we'll wrap. But there are um, we always talk about the uh, federal elections, but we got to start thinking more down ballot, too, because we also are electing or not electing, not participating in state legislative elections. And see, that kind of went under the rug in 2020. That's why the, the redistricting and the gerrymandering is going on. If we elect at, at, at the state legislative level, then that minimizes people being elected to office who do want to change our reproductive, reproductive rights laws and abortion rights laws, correct? Yes, become familiar with your, with your local elected officials. Never miss a local election. Never allow yourself to miss a local election if you can. You know, ultimately, each and every type of election is relevant. Each of those seats is relevant. Each of those judges, each of those, uh, you know, state legislative officials, each of those federal legislative officials, all of them have a role and an importance and they need to know that this is an important issue for you as a voter uh as a neighbor 
Daniela Diaz, folks, I have a very special guest here on Make It Plain. Please, man, please, sir, go to allaboveall.org. Get involved. Get up, get into it, and get involved. Thank you for joining us, Daniela. Thank you for having me. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.